Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I discuss some of the lessons we've learned and the challenges investors face during market panics and large drawdowns, the health and economic-related impact for the U.S. and global economy as a result of the fallout from the coronavirus remains very uncertain. As investors trying to navigate this market, it's important to think long-term, but we also acknowledge that it can be difficult for many as the impact works its way through the economy, our daily lives, and our investment portfolios. While these market panics are never easy to deal with emotionally, time, optimism, and discipline are important qualities that can help us make it through. Thank you for listening. I hope you find this discussion valuable. Okay, so we have officially entered uh, bear market territory here. And um, your article, I think from er earlier in the week, was you know timely in terms of talking about market panics and um, sort of, I think what you've learned in, you know, managing money and going through some of these, I mean, we've been running our investment strategy since 03 and we've been actually managing money since 05. So we've been through the great financial crisis and, you know, we hadn't really seen a, a bear market since then, but we've uh, you know, officially entered bear market territory, um, now with the recent, um, large declines in the market. So, um, you wrote an article offering some of your thoughts and insights. If you want to maybe just share your perspectives and what the core idea was behind this article on market panics, and then we'll use that as a jumping off point for um, the uh, further discussion. Sure. So I had written an article in early 2018 when we had the volatility based, uh, when, the, when the XIV blew up and we had the market correction. And I, and I wrote sort of, it was, it was the first article I'd ever written during a market decline. And I, and I wrote sort of the standard stay the course article. You know, I, I talked about, I put like a huge chart in there to show the long-term returns of the market. I talked about how volatility is normal, which, you know, at, at that point was actually a point that had to be made because 2017 had been the least volatile year ever. Right. You know, I wrote essentially the standard article anybody would write to say, you know, what you got to do during these declines is you just stay the course and everything will be fine. And, and that's it. And and I think that was nothing in there was wrong, but I think that missed some things because I think there's a lot of things that go on during these bear markets, the pain that goes on that maybe, you know, that type of dispassionate argument where you're just saying, you know, you've got to stay the course, you know, no matter what. And it's so easy and it's so obvious. And that's, you know, you look at this long term chart and every time every even 2008 is just a blip on the radar. I think that misses a lot in terms of what actually goes on during these things. So my, my article this week was to try to bring those things in and not just to say stay the course but to also talk about the the types of things that people have to do and go through during periods like this and so what what were some of those examples that you gave you know as ways that investors can try to help you know prepare mentally and emotionally for dealing with periods like this yeah so the first thing i talked about was just that stay the course doesn't mean that there's not going to be a lot of pain um, and, and I didn't account for that at all in my first article. And, you know, we're seeing that right now. I mean, we have, we've had days where the market goes down 8% and then it goes down 10% the next day. And it just messes with you as a person. And, you know, even us, we, we've been through this kind of thing. I mean, we haven't been through something like this cause this is unprecedented, but we've been through these types of things before. And it, you just, you want to make bad decisions. You know, you, 
you start worrying about, is my, are my kids going to go to college? You start worrying about, am I going to be able to retire? You worry about all these things and you make bad decisions. And so the, what, what I want, the point I wanted to make is it's very easy for me to sit here and say, you should stay the course. It's much, much, much harder to actually do it. And until you've been through that pain and, and until you account for that pain, you know, if, if you're someone like us who gives advice to clients, you need to account for that pain in your advice. You can't just say, oh, you know, this is the easiest decision ever. You know, you just stay the course. Look at this long-term chart. Obviously, you should stay the course. That that doesn't take into account the amount of pain that people go through in a situation like this. And and managing that pain to avoid bad decisions is a really important pro- part of the process of going through bear markets. You know, I think a couple of things with that. One, sp- specific to the environment we're in, you know, not only are people's portfolios and investments falling, but you also have this other fear of whatever the outcome is due to the coronavirus. I mean, you know, I think we're all starting to see the effects of schools being canceled, events being canceled. And so that's going to be a really difficult thing for investors to deal with. You not only have the uncertainty of the financial markets, but you also have uncertainty in your life. And so I think this is going to be a really challenging time for a lot of investors, you know, not to let their emotions get the best of them because they're gonna be being hit from you know multiple angles. And the likelihood is probably, well, I shouldn't say the likelihood. I mean, the chances of someone that we know getting the coronavirus at some point is probably pretty high, which I think will um, you know, maybe even accentuate sort of the fear levels for people. The other thing that it, I want, was gonna say was, I think for a lot of investors, and maybe you're gonna hit on this in a, in a minute, but you know, for people that are worried about their investments and they see their portfolios declining and they think, you know, there's more to come, what happens is an investor is fearful of further declines and they want to make a change. And, you know, from our perspective, we try to help them stay disciplined and stay focused on the long run. But yet if the markets fall another 20% from here and then they capitulate, then it's like the worst case scenario. So you have to, I think, balance it as someone giving advice and really understand the person you're talking to and their situation and make sure that, you know, they're set up in a way that they can withstand, you know, those types of declines in the market so that they don't make really the real bad decision, um, you know, and really hurt their performance and their returns. Yeah, you made a couple important points there. One is this whole stay the course argument is likely to be wrong in the short term. Meaning that when you give, when you actually write the article and you give the argument or you're talking to the client and you say, you've got to stay the course through this, there likely are going to be further declines beyond that point. And, and that's what we're dealing with now. You know, if you had talked about stay the course a week ago, well, you're in a much worse situation now than right. if you hadn't stayed the course. But the flip side of that is you have to recognize as, as a person, and I've kind of dealt with this myself, is can you make the decision as to when to get out and can you make the decision as to when to get back in accurately? Because if you can't, then stay the course is the only advice that's there. And so stay the course to me is not a recognition that there's not further declines coming. There there very well may be further declines coming. It's a recognition that for myself personally, I can't make the decision as to when the right time to get in and out is, especially in these types of times like this, because they're so emotional and and it's so easy to see, all right, it's down 10%, you know, today or it's rallied 6% today or, or it, like as, as we're talking about this now, we had a 6% rally this morning and now it's back to zero. And so, you know, those things are really tough to make decisions in. So to me, stay the course is just a recognition that I can't figure out when to get in and out. And I'm not worried about, 
you know, what's going to happen in the next six months because this is not money I'm managing for the next six months. I'm fairly confident when you get these major declines that if I buy now, five years from now, 10 years from now, I'm going to be happy about it. But I also understand that I could be very wrong for a significant period of time. And you could see 20, 30, 40 percent declines beyond when you give that stay the course argument. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think um, the other thing that you brought up in the article is like, you know, none of us really know the future and the people that, you know, come out and try to predict, you know, where the market's going in the short run. I mean, that's just really like mostly a self-serving thing. I mean, no one knows, especially with this environment, what's going on right now. I mean, no one really knows what the range of outcomes is and the economic fallout is going to be because of this. Um, Is that something you want to sort of expand on that part about, you know, an unknowable future and how that. Yeah. What's interesting about this decline too, is this really is something that's never happened before. You know, in 2008, we had a a severe drop in economic activity, but we didn't just shut the country down for a period of time. And that's what we're starting to do right now. I mean, we're just going to tell everybody to stay home and we're going to shut the country down. So who knows what the economic impact of that is? You know, I certainly don't. And and I don't think the market is really necessarily even figuring that out right now. The market is more in in a phase right now of I have no idea. The future is uncertain. Let's panic. Let's sell. And then over time, you'll get to a phase here where we try to figure that out. But your point is important. We don't know the future, and we especially don't know the future when we're dealing with an event that's unlike any event we've ever seen before. And, you know, anybody, anybody's guess is probably better than mine, but it's, a, it's very difficult to figure out where we go from here when we're dealing with an unprecedented event. Yeah, particularly in the short run. I think one of the things that has been talked about recently is when you look at the value of stocks, let's say, and you look at the current year earnings versus, like, earnings, you know, one year out and further, you know, the vast majority of the value of underlying securities is well into the future. So, you know, there's some people that say it's 5%. There's some people that say it's 10%. So this may be, have a massive impact on, um, you know, short-term earnings. But, you know, what investors also need to understand is that the vast majority of the value of the companies that they own is based on, you know, earnings that are one year and beyond. Um, So that's just an important point to keep in mind that as you look at the stock market, that's down pretty much 25, 30% from its peak. Now, maybe it was over a little bit overvalued coming in. So that's a different argument. But the point is, is that, you know, the vast majority of the intrinsic underlying value of companies is out more than a year. It's not in the here and now, but the market, you know, oftentimes can, overreact one way or another. Um, so that's just yeah, that's an important that's an important point, and it's one Jeremy Siegel's been making as well, which is you know the current year's earnings is a very small portion of what a company's worth. But the the flip side of that is, and, and you know for long term investors, that's eventually where we end up, where stocks become valued on you know the future, the present value of their future cash flows. But in the midst of these panics, you know nobody's got their discounted cash flow analysis out. People right. are just selling. And so that's what can be really hard about these is that right now we're in an emotional period where emotion is going to drive everything. Nobody cares about, you know, the future cash flows of companies. Eventually, we'll transition to a period where we'll, we'll better understand this event and people will start caring about that. But how far down we go before we get there, you know, it, it's anyone's guess. It's very it's something that's very, very hard to figure out. Um, one of the other points you made is that, you know, if you're going to make changes to your portfolio or investment allocation, you know, usually um, a little is much better than a lot. So what were you trying to get at with that? Yeah, you know, I, I 
I used to be kind of a black and white guy with things. You know, you, you should never make any changes during these declines. You know, it's, it's always a terrible decision. The market always goes higher. But you realize when you're actually dealing with people and you're dealing with their emotions that sometimes operating in a gray area is a better way. And so if somebody's about to panic and you can prevent them from making a binary decision where they take everything and they move it out of the market by reducing their, their equity position by 10%, that's a far better outcome. And so I've gotten away from this whole black and white thing. And now I think, you know, sometimes you have to operate in that gray area. If you're going to do something that may not be the best long-term decision, make it a small decision instead of a large decision. And I think that's something I've learned. You know, when I wrote that, wrote that original article in 2018, I may not have appreciated that as much, but I think I've learned that over time, that those, you know, if the binary big in and out decisions are what really can screw you up. If, if you can make the, the mistakes small mistakes, it's much better than large mistakes. Is there anything like tactically or like quantitatively that we can discuss as to how someone might do that? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like, like with our, you know, the way that we've implemented trend following or the way that we know other people implement trend following, it's more of a phased in or out approach. It's not necessarily like, you know, based on, you know, one binary signal. Um, I mean, can you think of anything that we can... Yeah, well, that's actually a good example is the, is the way we implement trend following, which is when, when we get our signal to implement trend following, you know, to start moving out of the market, we do it in a slow and methodical way, and we use multiple signals to make the decision. And, and that's the kind of, that's sort of the quantitative version of what we're talking about here, which is when, when a person makes a decision, they want to get out of the market, whether it's the right or the wrong decision, it might be better to make that decision slowly. It might be better to say, all right, let's start with this small thing. And then, you know, if things get worse, maybe we can discuss it again. Because that that tends to avoid these massive mistakes where you, you just are all out or you're all in and you're on the wrong side of what ends ends up happening eventually. Mm-hmm. So those small decisions sometimes can can help to prevent the really big mistakes. The other thing with move moving in and out of the market is, you know, if you were to do it, let's say you, you know, basically throw in the towel and say, I'm going to give up and you got, got it right. So if somebody sold today and, you know, moved out of stocks and the market goes down by 20%, well, in their mind, they're going to think that they got the call right and they actually would have gotten the call right. But, you know, it wouldn't have been based on really any skill. It's more of a lucky you know, they, in their mind, they said, I think stocks are going down more. And so they're selling and they're getting, you know, basically they got lucky with the call to your point earlier, you know, one, you got to then get back in. So that's a very difficult thing to do. But what I've always struggled with, with these timing calls is I feel like it breeds overconfidence in the decision-making process. Cause if you were lucky, but you attribute it to skill, then the next time that this happens, you know, the investors that do that, they're going to think they can, you know, correctly time the market and they'll probably end up like, you know, hurting the returns or the call won't be right. And so anyways, just, you know, getting it right shouldn't be attributed to skill. It's more luck, but then, you know, the getting it right also breeds overconfidence, which I think is a big problem for many investors. Yeah. And, you know, this is something I deal with as well. You know, we mentioned on one of our previous podcasts that I sort of thought going into this coronavirus that it was probably going to be worse than most people thought it was going to be. Well, it turns out I've been right about that. Now, I, I didn't make, I didn't implement that in my portfolio in any way. I didn't start shorting the market, but it turns out that my analysis at that point was right. But now going forward, you know, that could turn me into a monster event, essentially. That can make me think, well, the next event that comes up, I'm going to, I know, I know how to figure these things out. You know, I, I made this big mistake. I knew coronavirus was coming. I didn't short the market. I should have. And so next time when I have the same level of conviction, I, I might make a change. And in that time, I'm likely to be wrong. And so the key is to sort of take yourself out of this and realize 
I'm not capable of analyzing these things. And even if I get it right once, I'm probably not going to get it right the next time. And, and you see that with bear markets too. You know, the guys that got the 2000 bear market right did not get the 2008 bear market right. right. A lot of the guys that got the 2008 bear market right have been just horrible in their returns since then. So getting something right can almost be the worst possible thing. And you have to learn to take yourself out of it and not and say, even if I think I'm right here, there's a good chance I'm wrong. And so I'm better off just sticking with my long-term strategy. So how do you think we kind of wrap this up? I mean, I think, you know, we're believers in stay the course and, you know, no one really knows the future, but taking a long-term view in investing is the, the view that is most likely to produce the best results for most investors. Um, but I think what we're also saying is that, you know, we acknowledge that staying the course during the, these periods is, is difficult for many. And sometimes small changes or tweaks can actually help the investor get the best long-term result. Is that sort of what we're yeah, no, I, I think that's exactly right. And, you know, stay the course to me, to me, all the options you face in a situation like this have negatives associated with them. All of them can be bad in some ways. You know, stay the course means you're going to sit here and you're going to endure a bunch of pain. But bailing out means you, you might miss, you know, significant upside in the future. So to me, it's it's about picking the le the least bad option. And so stay the course is clearly, I think, the evidence would suggest the best thing for most people to do unless they feel like they can time this in and out. And so I think it's the best thing to do. But I also think, and that was the point of my article, was to acknowledge that it can be a very painful thing to do. It can be really hard to do. And, and when you make the decision, a lot of times there's significant, you know, when someone tells you to do it, there's more significant declines to come. And so I think it's the best of some bad options. But I think it's what most people should be doing because you, you, you just can't time these things. All right, great. That's a, I think, good way to, good way to end it. Um, you know, we know that this is a, a tough time in the markets and a scary time for some. So um, we will get through it and um, you know try to take a long-term view. We appreciate you guys watching, and um, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant. And follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube, or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.